while you're still standing. Do you know what an honor that is to stand in his presence on holy ground? I'm afraid that maybe sometimes we don't really know that. But yet I know that the scriptures tell us that we can come into his presence with boldness. We can do that because of the promise that was fulfilled on Zion's hill when Christ died for us. We can do that because of the fact that he opened the way. The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And we can now walk into the presence of God. We can worship him because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We're going to have a time of prayer, a silent time of prayer. I will ask you to either remain standing, you can sit where you are, you can come kneel at the front, you can kneel where you are. I'm going to kneel right here by the Lord's Supper table, and we're going to have a time of silent prayer, and then I will close in just a few minutes, and we'll head to the sermon. So join me as we pray. Father, I come to you today in humility. I come to you recognizing that sometimes my attitude, my attitude is not right. God, I, I thank you for the work that the high school is doing for Operation Snowball. Father, I pray that you will help them to, um, to keep kids from even starting, experimenting with drugs and alcohol. God, I pray that as we discuss this and I talk to them, God, I pray that, that, that you will fill me with your spirit and you will guide me as I speak. God, I pray that I will have a loving and kind and compassionate and forgiving heart. Father, I thank you for your people here, for those that participated in leading us to worship. Father, I pray that as they led us to worship, God, that they will also have gone into your presence on holy ground. Father, I pray today that, that those that we know, that we've talked about, that we've prayed for in Sunday school, those that are sick, that have COVID, that have whatever else is going through their system, God, I pray that you'll touch them and you'll heal them. Amen. Father, I pray that you will help us to remain well and healthy. Father, I pray that you'll help us to uh, focus not on the things of this world, but to focus on your son, Jesus Christ. Father, that we'll focus on what he has done for us. And, and even though we catch a glimpse of the glory, God, we need to realize that we don't see the whole thing. We don't see the vast gulf that you had to span to bring us back to you. We don't understand completely the, um, the, uh, the hurt of our sin and the fact that it took your son to bring us back to you. Father, help us to get a better understanding of that, a better picture of that. Father, help us when we understand that better to, to renounce sin, to cleanse ourselves from all unrighteousness, to walk away from those, to turn from those, to live our life, not just on Sunday morning for one or two or three hours, but to live our life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every week of the year, in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Father, we thank you, and we praise you, and we worship you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
verses 11 through 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. These guys, you know, when they, when they translated, they broke it in the wrong place. I mean, they should have waited for two or three more verses to break up the chapter. Um, I know that's a little bit, you know, kind of odd, but, but when you look at it, and some people would go, oh, well, that doesn't fit with what you're preaching, but it does. If you look at the text, what you see in the first uh, couple of verses, the first three verses, 11, 12, and 13, is kind of reiterated again in um, verses 2 and 3. And so, you know, one of the things that you do when you write is you tell them what you're going to say, kind of. You say it, and then you tell them what you said, right? It's kind of like a review. Well, that's what he did with these last couple of verses. He reviewed what he had said earlier. And he also reminded them of his great love for them, okay? Now, we're going to see that this is kind of broken down, like I said, into three sections. And you can say, if you, if you do it, it's A, B, and then A again, okay? I love you, he said. You need to shape up. I love you. I mean, that's pretty, you know, uh, okay, let's pray, we're done. That's pretty much what he said, okay? I love you a whole lot. I can be honest with you. I can be straightforward with you. I, now, here's the straightforwardness. Shape up. Stop doing these kind of things. Do these kind of things. Remember, I love you. Okay, so let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11 through uh, 7, verse 3. If you have your Bibles and you're able, will you stand uh, as we read this text? O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, because God has said that, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I did not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that today, as we go through these verses, through this text, God, you will open your word, open our hearts to your word like we have opened your word today to read it and to study it. Help us to see the truth that we need to see, each one of us as we need to see it. Help us to accept it. Help us, Father, to live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Oh, Corinthians, he says. One of the things that we see is... Um, uh, the apostles, he never does this. If you read through all of his letters, he never says this unless he's, what do I say? Getting a little bit irritated or emotional. Oh, Corinthians, you know? Um, and he's kind of, kind of, you've gone a little bit to do what I said you should do, but there's still a lot left to get done. And so he, he, he doesn't say this very often. He doesn't call them by their, quote, name very much. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. I love that picture there because that picture there is a picture of a wide open mouth, okay? It's a Hebraic idiom for speaking. Our mouth stands open to you, okay? Our mouth stands open to you. 
You know, I know there are some people you'd rather their mouth not stand open to you, okay? And I wonder if maybe at this point they would have rather that the Apostle Paul's mouth not stood open to them because when he says that, what he's saying is, I'm being straightforward with you. I'm being frank. I'm telling you the way it is, okay? And basically what he's doing in all of this and has done and is fixing to do, that's a southern phrase, okay? What he's fixing to do here in just a few minutes is he's fixing to call them out for their sin. Our mouth stands open to you. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be called out like that. You know? And I can see how maybe they didn't, which is why he comes to them and says, our love for you is so great. We have spoken openly to you. Our mouth is wide open to you. Our heart is wide open to you. Okay? I got to sub this af uh, Wednesday afternoon in the art class at Ransom Grade School. And uh, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And they had done a drawing. It was a perspective drawing. And um, some of them were really good, and some of them were not. So they did this thing called compliment and critique. And so I would hold the book up with their drawing in it, and the person who did that would choose somebody to give a compliment. And they were, they were pretty good about that. They would give a compliment and say, I really like the way you did this. I really like the clouds. I really like the green grass. I really like the way you did that pond in the background. I really like the way everything goes right towards the mountainscape at the back. And then after they got a compliment, they would call in somebody else to give a critique. Okay? That's kind of what Paul's doing here. Okay? And, and the instructions for them in class were, do it like this. I really like this. But maybe next time it would be better if you would do this. Okay? It's easier to take a critique that way, right? You've done well on this one, but here's something else. The Apostle Paul kind of knows that, okay? And he tells them how great his love for them is. And one of the things that we see about when he tells them how great his love for them is, he can't just tell them how great his love for them is and let them continue living in sin, right? And, and we've often, and I learned this from a young man who just finished leading your uh, worship team, um, often we say, um, well, what you did is wrong, but I love you, okay? Paul didn't do it that way, did he? He started with, I love you, but what you did is wrong. And, and then he gets back to, but I love you. Then he says, but you should also love me. And part of the way that, that, but you should also love me, should be interpreted is, in other words, you should do the things I just told you you should do. But if we start with, you've done this, but I love you, then it kind of just negates the correction, right? So Paul started, I love you, now straighten up. So, O Corinthians, we have spoken to you openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Um, that, that idea of being restricted, it, it means it keeps them from, nothing that Paul has done is keeping them from being the people that they're supposed to be. Nothing that Paul has told them, okay, how about this? somebody tells you, I love you, don't do that anymore. They're telling you twice, I love you. Two times. So in all of the things that Paul tells them here in a little bit, and all the things that he has told them on how they need to straighten up, and all of the things they need to stop doing, and all the things they need to start doing, he is sharing his love for them. If we love somebody, we really do want them to to live the way God called them to live. 
if we love somebody, we don't want them to be caught up in sin. We don't want them to be caught up in drugs or alcohol or immoral living, right? And, and sometimes they take us telling them not to do that and that we don't want them to do that and it's not right for them to do that and God doesn't approve of them doing that. They take us telling them that as not loving them. But if you love me, you let me do that. No, 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 no. And the Apostle Paul is by calling them out on all of these things and doing it nicely, he's showing and expressing his great love for them. You're not restricted by us. All the things we're telling you to do, they don't restrict you. In fact, they give you freedom, freedom in Christ. It's, it's like Kathy shared, and I told this about you about this, um, when she drives on the interstate. She doesn't have to worry about where the police officers are setting up because she doesn't drive over the speed limit, okay? Well, she says like this. You know, speed limit's 70, you're doing 72, okay? But you don't have to worry about an officer then, right? But if you're doing 82, you might have to worry about an officer, right? Okay, so I set my cruise control so I don't have to worry about an officer, okay? So the freedom that you have in Christ is because you're not doing those things you need to worry about. And so when he tells them you're not restricted by us, that's the kind of thing he's saying. You're not restricted by being obedient to the laws of God, which is what we're telling you to obey. But you are restricted by your own affections. Their own affections are the, the simple fact that now they are not loving Paul like they should love Paul. I mean, who should you love more than anybody? He calls and he says, I speak to you as my children. And then you look at that in the... Um, in the New King James, it says, I speak to you as children, but he's not speaking to them like, you know, when you, when you see somebody and you get down and a little kid and you talk to them below your level. No, he's not, not, that's not what he's talking about. He's speaking to them as they are his children. And who do you love more than anybody else other than your grandkids? Well, your children, right? I mean, seriously. And you love them so much that you want them to be healthy, to be strong. You want them to be... Um, to be productive, you want them to be successful, and you will tell them if something is wrong so that they can correct it so that they can live a better life and follow God more closely, right? That's what he's doing here. And so you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. He loves them so much, but they're not loving him and returning the love, okay? And that word restriction is a really interesting word. Um, basically, it means... Um, constipated. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> you should all, I mean, isn't that interesting how Paul would do that? Uh, he would use that kind of a word. Uh, he would tell them that basically that they're constricted in your bowels is what it means, okay? Uh, to narrow, to cramp, to constrict, okay? And um, I heard a preacher one time say, um, Somebody was talking about how regular they were in church, and he said, they came once every three months, and he said, they weren't regular, they are constipated. I would never say anything like that from the pulpit. So you're the ones, he says, that are restricting yourselves because you're not doing the things that I've told you to do. And guess what? If it was Paul's own opinion... It wouldn't matter. But the things that he gives them and the things that he tells them to do are things that come straight from the scriptures. In fact, when you get down to the next part of this, he gives, um, gives some things to not do, like do not be unequally yoked. 
And then he goes five different things that kind of show the, the, the uh, see, I got to be nice here, but just show how ludicrous it is to be unequally yoked, okay? He gives five different things to show that, and then he goes to scripture to prove his point, okay? And so we're going to hit that in just a minute. Um, do not be, now in return for the same, for the love that I show you, you also be open. Open your hearts to us. Open your hearts to me. And one of the ways they're going to open their hearts to him is if they obey what he says, because guess what? It's not just his word, it's the word of God. Then he says this, do not be unequally yoked to unbelievers. Wow. You know, we've heard that a lot. How many of you have quoted that to somebody who's dating somebody, right? You got a Christian person dating a non-Christian person? Do not be unequally yoked to unbelievers. Well, that's not what it's talking about. You can apply it that way. Why? Because if you've got a Christian dating a non-Christian, well, that non-Christian is probably going to be dragging the Christian down more than the Christian's bringing them up. You ever heard of missionary dating? You got a Christian person, and they got this person that they're really attracted to. They want to go out with that person, okay? And they say, well, I'll go out with them. I'll bring them to church, and they'll get saved. Have you ever seen that happen? Not as often as you see that person being dragged down, right? Now, it's possible that that they'll go, okay, I'm going to come to church, and they'll pray to receive Christ. Sometimes that's real, and sometimes it's just because they want to make a good impression on the person they're dating, okay? So do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The idea here is the idea of hooking um, a, in a, um, what's what I'm looking for? In a yoke, an ox and a donkey, okay? Think about that. That's cruel to both of those animals. Neither one of them can do the work that they're supposed to do if you yoke those two animals together. You need an ox and an ox or a donkey and a donkey, right? And, and so, if, and I don't know which one I'm going to say is what, um, but if you're unequally yoked with a non-believer, then, man, your tasks, they, they don't work together, you know? So think about it. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and every Sunday morning it's your purpose and your intention to get up and to come to worship, and they don't want to come, maybe you've got kids, and you want to bring them, and they are not going to help you. You're fighting against what they're doing in order for you to follow Christ. Now, if you're in that situation and married to somebody, the Apostle Paul even says, stay there. Stay there. But if you're dating a non-Christian, maybe that's not such a good idea. And so people interpret it that way, and you can interpret it that way, but what it's really interpreting is, uh, what it's really saying is, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers in your attending pagan worship services, in your buying meat that's sacrificed to idols, knowing that it's sacrificed to idols, in going to sit down at a pagan's house, I use that word to talk about non-Christians in Corinth, and eat the meat that you know is sacrificed to idols. Don't be unequally yoked that way. All right? It's not a good thing. It doesn't work. All right? How many of you have pets? We have two dogs. That's two too many. I don't know if that was uh, of agreement or of, well, I better watch out, I'm in trouble. In the morning when I get up, one of the very first things I do after brushing my teeth and getting dressed and that kind of stuff, is I go out to the living room and I leash both dogs and I walk them so they can go potty. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. I got one who is a blue healer, about 55 pounds, one who is um, a mixed breed, 
and, uh, and about 35 pounds, and they can pull me both directions. Unequally yoked I am. It's not easy to go the right direction to get everything done that I need to get done. Unequally yoked. You get the picture. And so then he says, with these other five things, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial, by the way, is Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? I want to look at those as quickly as I possibly can because um, those are all very, very, uh, the words that are used there are different, and yet they have uh, some of the same appeal, okay, some of the same meaning. Um, and so what he's saying here is don't be unequally yoked with them, even if, by the way, part of the reason they would be unequally yoked with non-believers in Corinth is because it would benefit them financially. It would benefit them socially. They were able still to stay in the, um, uh, the social circles. They were able then to make enough money so that they could live the way they were used to living, okay? And if they didn't fellowship with them, well, some of that would be cut off, all right? And so he says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, some people think those are uh, immoral or faithless Christians. Some people think those are untrustworthy persons. Some think they are um, Gentile Christians who don't keep the Torah. Some think they're these uh, false apostles that were coming in. But the best option is what it says, non-Christians. The, the, um, the Corinthian Gentiles that hadn't come to Christ, that were still going to the temples of the... Um, of the false gods, worshiping and making sacrifices there. So he says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Righteousness. You think about righteousness, it's being right with God. And the lawlessness that he's talking about here is the lawlessness of not following the law of God. Because you think about it, some of the laws that they were probably supposed to follow as Corinthians were in opposition to the laws of God. And he said, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? It doesn't. The word um, fellowship here is the word metoke, uh, and it means in common, a relationship involving shared purposes and activities. Think about that. If it's a relationship that involves shared purposes and activities, yet one is righteousness and one is lawlessness, they obviously don't share the purpose, okay? They don't have a shared purpose or activity, all right? One has the purpose of following God, and one has the purpose of living however you want to. And he asked the question, what fellowship has righteousness and lawlessness? Then he says, and what communion has light with darkness? Um, you know, we've talked about this before. You get up in the middle of the night, and, uh, and what do you do? You turn on a light. Why? Because when you get up in the middle of the night, it's dark. But if you turn on the light, the darkness is gone, right? You know? Um, and so you don't turn on the dark, do you? You turn on the light. So it's, a, it's I mean, I really don't have to get into this one a whole lot for you to understand that if there's light, there's not darkness. And you can look uh, in some corners and you can see shadows, but there's still light there, okay? And so light and darkness have no fellowship, no um, togetherness. And the, I, the word there is the word koinonia, and it is a word that's talking about, um, uh, about partnership. They have no partnership. Light and dark have no partnership. And we can talk about the... Um, uh, the idea that as we trust in Christ, we become the light of the world. There's a little light, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to hide it under a bushel, no, this little light of mine. Okay, But those who do not trust Christ, they're still living in darkness. 
they, they do not live and understand what uh, Christ has called them to do. And then, then there's this next one. What communion, what accord has Christ with Belial? That word accord is the word symphonesis. S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-E-S-I-S is how it's transliterated. Sounds pretty much like a musical term to me. And I think about it, the word in some is, some, uh, like in the NIV, the word is harmony. Okay? I don't know the difference between harmony and melody and any of that kind of stuff. All I know is, yeah, thank you. Um, all I know is that if you're not in harmony, it doesn't sound good. Right? And so he says, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Does Christ and Satan have, do they sing the same song? Do they sound good together? You know, have you, I mean, honestly, I sing better than Satan. But if you were to hear him sing, it would be like a screeching sound, okay? Okay? And, 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 and the message that they have, you think about it. Um, I'm trying to find it. John 10, 10. What did Jesus say about, about Satan? The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy and Jesus said of himself, but I come that you might have life, and that you might have it abundantly. So you see, the purpose of Satan is to kill you and destroy you and to steal your life. The purpose that Christ has is to give you eternal life. They have no, no mutual purpose, okay? And then, then we go on. Um, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Well, and some of them say, well, what do you have in common? But... Uh, we have a lot in common with unbelievers, at least before we trust Christ. We're all sinners. We need forgiveness. We need Jesus. We need, um, we need our sins to be washed away. We need an eternal uh, forgiveness of our sins so we can live in his presence. But that word common probably better means what lot, what portion, what share. See, we have a share in eternal life. Unbelievers do not yet. They simply need to trust Christ and they would have the same share. But at this point, we have no share with them. They have no share with us. Think about an inheritance, right? Because of Jesus Christ, because of the fact that he died, we receive an inheritance of eternal life because we've trusted in him. Their name is not on that will. They have not received that inheritance, nor will they unless they trust Christ. They have no part, they have no portion in the same thing that we have eternal life in Christ. And then the, the fifth one, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Hmm. What agreement? It refers to some kind of, of consensual affiliation, a pact, okay? And you think about the temple, and I love to do that. Think about the temple. Out of Zion till salvation comes. Think about the temple. And you think about what happened in the temple. When the Jews would go to the temple, what they would do is they would offer sacrifice. They would offer sacrifice so that, um, so that their sins would be covered and eventually washed away. But sometimes there was a, an idol, a pig, sacrificed there, and the temple was desecrated. There is no connection, no agreement, no pact joining the temple of God with the temple of idols or with idols. And this is the whole idea of what he's getting to. You are eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and you're doing it knowingly. And by doing it knowingly, you are connecting 
yourself, which is the temple of God, with the temple of Satan. And they have no connection, no agreement, and it ought not be done. And you see, when we do that, and, and, and there's all kinds of things we can think about here, okay? Like, um, what are some things that we do that would connect our temple of God to the temple of Satan? There's all kinds of things we can think about. And, and I'll let you cover them in your own heart, okay? But he says, there's no connection. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Now, I want you to see something in, in my New King James. There's a footnote there, and it says, instead of you, it says we. For we are the temple of the living God, okay? Um, and when Christ died and rose from the grave, he promised the Spirit of God. He promised the Holy Spirit would come, would teach you, would lead you, would guide you, would dwell in you. And because of the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are the temple of the living God. But also, this could say, you all, or all y'all together, are the temple of the living God. So what he's trying to do is point out individually they're all the temple of God, and all together they're all the temple of the living God. And if one of them desecrates the temple of God by worshiping pagan idols, by eating meat offered to idols, knowingly eating that, then they're desecrating the whole temple of God. And he's calling them out on this. And he says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now I want you to know that that word dwell there um, is, is related to the idea that Jesus said he would tabernacle among us. Okay? And, and where was this one from? This one is, um, is from Ezekiel 37. I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. When he's calling them out of Babylon, calling them back to, um, back to, back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And I will dwell among them, walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, because of all of this stuff, because of the fact that he's going to do this. Now, by the way, I want you to notice something here. This is where he has started using the scripture. He has told them all of these things. I really love you guys, he says. I love you more than you can ever imagine, but you're not loving me back. And he says, now, because I love you, I'm going to speak openly with you, and I'm going to share all these things. Don't be unequally yoked. And he gives all these five reasons and ex and, and, and so that they can help understand why it's bad to be unequally yoked. And then he says because you're the temple of the living God. And he comes to the scripture then. Now I love this, um, because this is biblical counseling at its finest. What's he doing? He's telling them, you're living in sin, and the Bible tells you not to. Now, if somebody comes to you and says, what do you think about this? What's the best thing to do? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Is it okay for me to do this? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Is it okay for me to do this? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Pastor Curtis, is it okay for me to marry a non-Christian? Well, let's see what the Bible says, you know? And so that's what he's doing. He's showing them the things that they need to change, and then um, he's giving them biblical, scriptural arguments from the Old Testament so that they can understand the truth of it. And they shall be my people. I don't know anything better than being his people. I mean, I'm proud to be an American, but more than that, I'm glad that because Jesus Christ died for me, he can say that I am one of his people. Then he says, therefore, 
because of all of this stuff, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Come out from among them. Be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. I mean, we can look at this, and we can, we can think about all kinds of different things um, to talk about. Come out from among them. He's not telling them that they need to quit their secular job. He's not telling them that they can't go to the market and buy from secular people. He's not telling them that they can't even invite somebody who's not a Christian over to eat with them. He's not telling them that at all. He's telling them, don't go to their pagan temples. Don't, and because here's what happened at the pagan temples a lot of times. Even if you went there for any kind of thing whatsoever, you would be expected to make an offering to that pagan god. So come out from among them. Don't go there anymore. Don't do those kind of things. And be separate. You know, we talked a little bit in Sunday school about the temples of the uh, of the um, biblical times. And a lot of the temples, they had like ziggurats. Okay? Kathy shared this with us, and I just learned it. And the whole idea was that, that they were trying to get close enough to heaven so that their gods could come down and go on a vacation. Because their gods needed a vacation. Okay? And, and the temple of Yahweh wasn't like that. I mean, there were steps leading up to things, but it wasn't trying to reach heaven, okay? There was sacrifices that were made at the temple of God so that they could be forgiven of their sins. And so one of the things he's talking about here is come out from among them, be separate. Don't go do those things anymore. Don't touch the things that are unclean. And, and we, can, we can see how does that work with us? I mean, because that's the question you have to answer now. It's good to know all of these things and know what, uh, what was going on and what was happening there. We've got to answer the question for us. How does this apply to us? What does it mean for us to not be unequally yoked? Well, I'm telling you, one of the things it means is for us not to marry somebody that's not a Christian. You know, um, I never... I didn't really think God would provide for me a wife. I didn't. I prayed that he would. I prayed that she would be a godly woman, that she would be blonde, and that she would blue eyes, and that she would move anywhere God called us to go. And that's what he gave me. I don't know what kind of prayers she offered. Apparently there were none. Because she just got me. Okay? And, and I hope and pray that at least for the next, I don't know how long, 30, 40 years, she's happy about that. Because it doesn't matter. Because she's not unequally yoked and there's no way she can get loose. I don't think she wants to, to be honest. But I wanted a, a God-fearing Christian. I knew that as God had a call on my life, that I needed a godly woman to walk beside me. And sometimes behind me and kick my hiney. I knew that. I had no doubt. And God gave me a wife like that. And so you can interpret that that way because guess what? If you get a wife or a husband for you women that is not a godly person, they're going to drag you down. They're going to they're cause you to um, touch the unclean things. They're going to cause you to maybe have... Uh, fellowship with lawlessness and darkness and Belial and um, and with idols. And you don't want that. 
You can interpret that to be businesses. Now, I got to tell you um, that in business, you're not going to be able to avoid people like that. You're not going to be able to avoid people who are not Christians because many businesses are not run by Christian people. But it doesn't mean that you have to start a business with somebody that's not a Christian. It also doesn't mean that you should, it does mean that you should not run your business like they would run their business. One of the worst um, testimonies that we can give is to own a business and run it like a, as a Christian and run it like the non-Christian next door. It can, it can mean, um, uh, it can mean all kinds of other things. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Come out from them. Live differently. Be separate. Be different. I'm looking out and I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing every one of you out there are different. Different from each other. Different from other Christians. Different from the world. Be separate. And I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and my daughters. My understanding is that Paul added that word daughters there. Okay? But it wasn't in the Old Testament. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. But he wanted to make sure they were understood. Okay? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, this shows the importance of what he's saying. Says the Lord Almighty. You will be my sons and my daughters. He can be trusted. We do those things. We open our hearts to him. We come out from among them. We be separate. Then he will receive us. He will be a father to us. And we shall be his sons and his daughters. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, there's still some work to be done. I know that when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, there's some work to be done. Sometimes I need to shave. Sometimes I need to comb my hair. All the time I need to brush my teeth. There's work to be done. And even after we trust Christ and we live as a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, there's still work to be get done in perfecting the holiness in us. And it won't happen until Christ returns or until he takes us to be with him. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have com corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts. Again, he's covering this idea of his great love for them, to die together and to live together. And there's two ways you can look at that, to die together and to live together. They can live together in peace, and they can die together as martyrs of God, martyrs of Christ. Or he can talk about live together in Christ because we have died together to the life that we live so that we can have the life that Christ gives us. So, the answer for you is different from the answer for me to the question, what does it mean to come out from among them? What does it mean to be separate? What does it mean to not touch what is unclean? What does it mean to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit? How do we perfect holiness in the fear of God? It's constant. It needs to be anyway. Not just for a couple hours on Sunday morning, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, however long we live. 
coming out from among them, separating ourselves, not being like the world, not living in communion with darkness, not living in accord with Belial, not living in agreement with idols, not living um, in fellowship with lawlessness. So we're going to sing a hymn of decision, and I'm going to be down at the front. There may be a decision that you need to make, a decision that's personal, a decision that others aren't dealing with right now. I'm going to be here at the front, ready to receive you, to pray with you. It might be that you're ready to become a member of Urban Avenue Baptist Church. It might be that you've not really trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It might be that there's something in your life that you need to pray about. I'm going to be here, but you can come and kneel here and pray and not even come to me because I'm not the one. God is. So we're going to have a human decision. And before that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. God, I thank you that, that you give us this, these words, that you call us to not be unequally yoked, that you prove to us by these five examples that it's not good to be unequally yoked, that you use the scripture to nail it down, the Old Testament scripture to nail it down, that you call us to not live like the world, but to live the way Christ calls us to live. Father, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.